a lecture on the first two gifts of the Holy Spirit. I want you to memorize the gifts in order, wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, and fear of the Lord. Today I'm going to be speaking to you about wisdom and understanding. First off, usually when we think of wisdom, we think of a gift that is only given to someone who has tons of experience. And we think of an old man sitting on a mountain who other people, you know, approach and ask about. But guess what? You don't need to be old and to have a lot of gray hair and able to have wisdom. This is part of the gift of confirmation as we get the gift of wisdom from the Holy Spirit, even at a young age. And let me explain more about wisdom. Wisdom allows us to profit from a different point of view. It's like God's point of view. Um, you know, when, when we look at things from a distance, we tend to get a better view as to what they are. For example, if we are trying to find our way out of a corn maze, you know, those mazes they make right now in October, although it's probably been snowed on, pre-COVID, we had those mazes you could walk through. Very often in those mazes, where you have to walk back and forth trying to find your way out. They do have some help in the middle where you can climb like a bridge and look over the maze so you can figure out your way out. Otherwise, you're going down every path and trying to remember which one was good and which one was bad. Notice the quick way. It's not cheating. It's kind of a wisdom. You're looking at it from God's point of view. You're getting up higher and you're looking down and seeing the proper path to your goal, which is to escape from the maze. That's what every path and trying to remember which one was good and which one was bad. Notice the quick way. It's not cheating. It's kind of a wisdom. You're looking at it from God's point of view. You're getting up higher and you're looking down and seeing the proper path to your goal, which is to escape from the maze. That's what wisdom is like. It gives us God's perspective and a better perspective to get our way to our ultimate end. Now, what is our purpose in life? Our purpose is to know, love, and serve God and to be happy with him forever in the next life. Look, if you're rich or poor, at the end of the day, if you don't go to heaven, being rich was a waste of your time. Uh, getting to heaven and serving and loving God in this world, that is our purpose. And if we mess this up, we haven't attained our purpose and we'll be eternally frustrated. And so wisdom allows us to organize the means to an end. Means means instruments or tools. The end really means purpose. And that's why in the definition I say, this gift allows a Christian to organize the means to an end. It's not just any end, though. With wisdom, a Christian can organize everything to a divine, in a divine way, which allows them to achieve the ultimate goal, which is happiness with God in heaven. And so... We are truly wise if we organize things in our life and start reevaluating them based upon, you know, is my interest in cars, for example, is it really, should I be buying a car based upon fashion, based upon what other people think that I have money, or should I buy it towards safety, reliability, efficiency, effectiveness? Um, yes, there's nothing wrong with having a fun classic car, let's say. But at the end of the day, are we just buying a car for what it looks like or what it does?
The same thing in regards to things that are more even divine than just buying a car. Don't we want to have our life organized around what is most important? And what's so great about this gift is you don't have to wait until you're old to be wise. You can get it right now, young people, right now, which is amazing. Um, and so one of the things, you know, an example I gave in class is uh, something I heard from a classmate of Joe Maurer, the now retired baseball player for the Minnesota Twins. He had his goal set on playing professional baseball but he knew there was going to be a party his high school senior year. And he realized, you know what, I think there's going to be alcohol at this party. So he did not go to the party. One of his classmates, who was just as good as he was, went to that party. And unfortunately, the police showed up. That other classmate never ended up becoming a professional baseball player. We don't hear about him because he got in trouble. Joe Maurer realized, I don't want to get in trouble. He did not go to the party. And so he was able to reach the end, his purpose of becoming a professional baseball player. Um, and so that shows you an example where Maurer had wisdom. He realized going to that party is not going to help me become a baseball player. Now, wisdom, again, remember, is not just about worldly things. It is about the most important things in life you know, happiness, heaven, serving and loving God. Now I want to talk about understanding. This is one of the more difficult lectures, okay? But believe it or not, you already, in a regular human way, do understanding each and every day. You just don't realize it. So there's a regular human kind of power of understanding, and then there is the hyped-up, super... Uh, more spiritual side of understanding that we get from the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, in the notes, you'll notice that I write, this is already a function of the human soul, but the gift further enables one to grasp the basic grasp basic principles or concepts of a spiritual nature, such as concepts like goodness, truth, beauty, oneness, justice, dignity of the human person, love, hope, faith, reality, human nature, free will, etc. Um... So in other words, think of understanding as it's your ability to grasp a basic concept. You either get it or you don't. I'll give you examples. Just like um, the word goodness. You know, it's really hard to even define that word. But you know something's good when you see it. You know something is good when you uh, understand that it is uh, something good for you to do. Uh, so goodness is something you either get or you don't, just like the concept of badness, let's say, or truth. You know, we can define truth. Truth is when our ideas conform to reality. Um, that might be a definition of truth, but you know, whether or not you really accept that there is truth out there, let's not forget what... Pontius Pilate said, when Jesus was talking to him, um, Pontius Pilate goes, what is truth? Yeah, he was, he was somebody who believed in relativism. Yeah, truth, whatever. Well, understanding, it's like, no, what, you know what? There is truth. I accept that there is truth. Or like beauty. You know, it's hard to define what beauty is. I know it involves balance. It involves 
very often symmetry. It involves, um, you know, certain things, but we can identify something that's beautiful. Uh, however, it's you either get it or you don't. You either say, yep, that's what beauty is or that's not what beauty is. Same thing with oneness. Oneness is the idea that there is a one thing. Like a chair is made up of different parts, but it forms one thing. And that one thing is a purpose, and that is to allow us to sit down, to rest our legs, rest our feet. And so notice oneness is a kind of a concept that it's hard to prove, it's hard to reason to, you either get it or you don't, like a chair. You look at a chair and say, that's a one thing. Understanding is a kind of a, an ability that animals just don't have. Uh, for example, they don't have a sense of justice. You know, justice is giving to someone what you owe them, but notice that you either get that concept or you don't. Like, I can tell you the definition, but as soon as I tell it to you, it's like, yep, that totally makes sense. That is what justice is all about. That is a kind of a fairness. Same thing with love. I can give you the definition of love, but you already had that sense of love. You know, you... Sorry, I got cut off there for a second. You already had a sense of love when you felt your parents care for you. You know, they wanted you to be happy. They took care of you. They gave you food, water, clothing, shelter, and they give you correction. Remember, that is part of what love is all about, giving what's best. So what understanding is all about is grasping these kind of very important concepts um, and this is very difficult to teach, but it's one of those things, you either get it or you don't, and that's what understanding is all about. So when you get confirmation, you're going to get a strengthening of this understanding so that you really get, for example, this idea that, boy, every human being should be treated with dignity. They have a special worth. Um, you have a sense of what free will is. I mean, you can get that. You can accept, yeah, I do have free will. The idea that you really understand free will, you grasp the idea, this is important. Boy, we either have free will or we don't. Uh, this is a very long lecture, I realize, is the most difficult part. Uh, understanding is very difficult, um, but you'll notice from your notes that I've underlined things um, that, need to be under that need to be remembered, I should say. Um, you're going to be getting another lecture on counsel, right judgment, and fortitude. And then I'll end up with knowledge, piety, and fear of the Lord, and then a celebration of the sacrament, what is involved with that. So a lot of lectures coming your way. Take care and God bless you. Bye. We'll continue our lectures on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We've already covered wisdom and understanding and began speaking about counsel or right judgment. The definition, as you have seen or are about to see, is very critical, helps a person to think, say, or do the right thing at the right time in the right way. What's so critical about this is, as the examples that I brought up with you, we don't want to just take comfort in the fact that we might be correcting someone. You know, a coach shouldn't just feel confident about yelling at someone because they made a mistake in the game. Well, I said what was right. Sometimes we have to do it at the right time in the right way. We can't just yell at someone in front of everyone else. Maybe we shouldn't be yelling at someone. 
So there are different ways in which we can communicate the truth. So it's not just a matter of doing the right thing. It's often how we do it and when we do it. So when we're caring for children, we have to know when to encourage. We have to know when to discipline. We have to know when to build up and when to let them know that they need to change their ways. We also have to try to do it in the best way possible because it's not just about you and me being right. It's about helping the other person. And so what's so special about this gift of counsel or right judgment again, is not so much that it's counseling someone else, but it is that we are actually doing something the best way that it can be done. So very often people will confront you know, unbelievers and just start, you know, preaching at them. No, you want to know where they're coming from. You want to be able to do things in the way that's going to be most conducive for the person who is hopefully going to receive the message of Christ. And so that's what counsel right judgment is all about. It's mainly not just how to convince someone to buy the product you're selling if you are a used car salesman. No, it is doing that good thing, providing that good service, and hopefully something dealing with morality, doctrine, the faith, doing it in a way that helps others to truly receive what they are being given and then put, a, put it into practice in their life. Next, fortitude or courage. I've already given you uh, the example of my being in ninth grade and not stopping uh, or even correcting a friend of mine who, or a supposed friend of mine who said something very uh, bad to another student. You know, that was a, a moment of a lack of courage in my life, and that was before I was confirmed. But I want to speak in general about fortitude regarding spiritual things. Especially in today's world, where we are going to encounter a lot of fear. We're going to encourage a lot of division. We're going to encourage a lot of questioning and doubting, confusion. We're going to encounter people that don't believe the same thing that we believe in. We're going to encounter some probably soft persecution. People that, you really believe that? They're going to ask us questions. You know, you really believe that for example, a, a woman can't choose to have an abortion. You know, you're foisting your opinion on someone else. They have to live with the consequences. You know, and we do have to have courage to stand up for the truth. We do have to have the courage to defend those who cannot defend themselves. And so fortitude and courage is necessary not only to have an impact in the world, but it's necessary for the development of our own soul. We have to have the courage for example, to acknowledge that we're sinners. We have to have the courage to then go to confession, hear ourselves, convict ourselves. That takes courage. It's not always easy. It's not always easy. We can sometimes get caught up with, what is the priest going to think? Uh, will someone overhear me? Things like that. Will I get a difficult penance? Life does require courage. And in fact, very often, we have to risk our lives in order to save our lives. I'll give you an example from what I've read in war. Obviously, I've never been in war, but 
You know, there are times when if we were a soldier and if we, well, let's say not, um, if we were a soldier and, and we were, you know, being attacked by someone else, some other soldiers, the enemy, if we just hunker down in our foxhole, yeah, they might miss us and just jump over our foxhole and move on. But if they see us cowering, they just might bayonet us and move on or drop a grenade in and move on. You know, sometimes you do have to stand up to the opposition. You have to risk yourself being injured in order to literally save your own life. If everyone runs from the battle, if everyone hides from the battle, the battle is lost. And very often those who are running will end up being shot in the back as they're running away. Um, you know, in our own spiritual battles, we do have to have the courage to do difficult things, to, to make decisions. You know, I, I am not going to go uh, to movies that are inappropriate, or I'm going to start limiting how much, um, you know, it's kind of like with temperance, but it takes courage to make that decision to be temperate in regards to how much time we spend on the phone, on social media, etc. It is not easy because we know we're about to face some pain, some difficulty. And so courage is all about facing some kind of challenge, something that's probably going to be painful, difficult, humiliating, something that involves persecution, but still doing what's right. Uh, so the definition that you see on the board, knowledge or courage, I'm sorry, fortitude or courage, this is the strength to think, say, and do what is morally right, even in the face of great difficulty. And that's an important thing. I think I told you early on in the year, you know, my dad basically lost his job as a doctor because the other uh, doctors of the clinic wanted him to do immoral surgeries, surgeries that were not needed surgeries that um, were not there to help anyone. Were, they were not there as therapeutic things. They were sterilizations, making people unable to have children. And my dad said, no, I will do surgeries that help people. I'm not going to purposefully damage a working body, a body that's working fine. You know, and he had to have great courage to be able to um, deal with that, and then to have to start his own business, his own practice. You know, I also remember my dad telling me a story that when he was in an East Coast city, I believe it was Baltimore, they had buses that were racially divided, uh, whites up front, blacks in the back. And my dad, this was during World War II, he had gone through Baltimore for uh, for something, I think it was... Uh, I think they were just, his ship was um, being filled up with cargo or something. And he was on the bus, and the bus was rather full. He saw a black woman standing, and he asked her to sit in his seat. And she did. The bus driver stopped the bus and said, no, she's got to get back. And the bus driver came to confront and my dad, who was tall, he was like six foot one in the in World War II, that was pretty tall. People only really started getting super tall more recently. 
But, you know, my dad was big and tall, and he just towered over the man and said, who's going to make her move? Um, you know, and he just blocked the guy's way. And then uh, the bus driver just kind of, okay, fine, he went back. So that was always a, you know, I remember my dad telling me that story once. It was just a good sign of courage. We do have to have the courage to defend others. Again, it's not just courage for ourselves, but courage for the sake of someone else and for the sake of the truth of God. And now we will cover knowledge, piety, and fear of the Lord. You have the uh, handout, which um, has a lot of material, but I'm going to try to explain, explain a little bit more in depth. First off with knowledge. The example I gave deals with how people often make discoveries or how they discover some new truth or some fact, uh, some interesting thing. It's often done by dividing or combining, as my notes say. In other words, if you want to see how an engine works, you have to take it apart. Very often, if you want to discover a new kind of taste when you're cooking, you do that by combining things. And the great example is Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. There's an old commercial that had a guy walking, eating his chocolate bar, pure chocolate, and then another guy is coming in from the left. He is eating his peanut butter, and they run into each other, and the chocolate goes into the peanut butter. They break the peanut butter slathered chocolate bar in half, and they both take a bite, and they realize they've just discovered Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. And that whole idea is, you know, you discover something new sometimes by combining as I mentioned in other situations, like taking apart a car, you can discover how an internal combustion engine works. Also with the human body, you can discover how the human body works by doing a dissection, literally taking it, the body apart to understand, for example, how the veins might work or how the tendons and muscles and ligaments all work, and etc., etc., how the skeletal system works. In, when it comes to theological things, knowledge we use knowledge in order to discover new theological truths, either doctrine or morals. For example, Jesus never talked about cloning. You know, cloning, like making an exact twin of yourself. Does that mean we can do it because Jesus never said anything about it? Well, I would say no, because he gave us the basic truths, and we can discover some of these truths with our own mind as well. We put these truths together and we realize, wait a minute, cloning another human being is not ethically correct. It's not proper, it's wrong. And so, for example, even though a clone might be a twin of you, just because you have a twin doesn't mean that you have rights over your genetic twin, because your genetic twin is another human being. And so, the rules, you put these together, every child deserves to have, or deserves to be a result of a love between a husband and a wife, you know, between a mother and a father. A child really deserves to be a result of that, I grant, Sometimes it doesn't occur, but nonetheless, that is something that a child should be given the opportunity of having a mother and a father, not just created in a lab, in a Petri dish. Furthermore, we know that um, life begins at conception, and so just even though we might have control over a single-celled organism that happens to be a human, it doesn't mean I have a right to use it and abuse it. That single-cell organism has rights a right to life. And so we would say it's okay to clone an animal because we were given dominion over the animals, but we cannot clone another human being 
because humans deserve, again, to be an object not that is used, but that is appreciated and cherished. And every human deserves the right to result from an act of love between a husband and a wife. And so that's how we use knowledge in the theological sense. We take things from Scripture that we know, and we take things from natural theology and natural philosophy. When we think about the world, we put them together and we discover new things that we should or shouldn't do. And there are a lot of examples about this in regards to different kinds of morality, but cloning is the easiest one to give you an example of. Uh, so again, knowledge is all about, as your notes say, combining and dividing to discover new truth. The next gift is piety. And I often like to tell people that piety is not so much, you know, the image of a darkened church where there is the smell of incense wafting through the air, lights flickering, and little old ladies praying and, uh, you know, praying their rosaries. Well, that's a very pious act to pray in a church, you know, to have to light a, a votive candle. But real piety is more than just a kind of praying. This comes from the Roman Empire, where piety was a civic virtue, a virtue of the city, or a virtue of the republic. And here's the point. Somebody who was rich and powerful, they couldn't be rich and powerful without the agreement and the help of other people. And so even if somebody was you know, rich and powerful and they think they're a self-made man, with due respect, they didn't get it by themselves. If other people didn't buy their products or need their products, or if they didn't support them in some way, the Romans realized this. And so those who were more rich and powerful would actually try to pay back in some way. And that is the point of piety. They would either do some public work. Now, later on, when the empire got bigger, the empire ended up doing a lot of these things. But early on, piety was the rich and powerful giving back, doing something great for Rome or for their city, you know, like building an amphitheater, building a theater, putting on a theater, a Greek tragedy, let's say, or a Greek comedy, or putting on a gladiatorial games, you know, gladiatorial games, which obviously is immoral, but nonetheless, they thought they were doing something good, providing them chariot races, etc., etc. And so, in reference to God, piety is realizing that God has given us so many gifts, and we want to do something great for God. And so this idea of piety is a kind of magnanimity where I want to do something great. I owe God everything, and I want to pay God back. Then last but not least, fear of the Lord. First and foremost, we have that sense of fear, which is fear and trembling. You know, sometimes fear works. Fear helps us to do what we should do. Fear helps us to, you know, avoid getting punished, avoid getting caught. But the most important thing is not just a fear of punishment, but instead a kind of fear of harming our relationship with God. And as my notes say, you know, this relationship with God, we should so honor that we don't want to lose this good thing that we have. So we're afraid of losing our friendship with God. You know, you might have had a coach or a teacher that you're really grateful for, and you want to do well, not just so you can learn and perform well, but you really sometimes want to do well for that coach or for that teacher because you can see that they really care about you and they're really trying their best to help you. So again, that's another kind of fear. But the best kind of fear of the Lord is actually 
it's similar to the word awesome, awe-inspiring, where we are so amazed at God's goodness, God's beauty, that we are just taken up with what God is like. You know, his justice, his mercy, his kindness, his thoughtfulness, his power. And I liken this to watching a sunset. You know, if, if we see a sunset and we don't appreciate it, that's kind of a problem because the sunset truly is a great gift from God. God himself is the author of all that is beautiful and we should be filled with a kind of awe and wonder because of God's goodness, his truth, and his beauty. So that's it uh, for the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit.